This episode is brought to you by Objective Outcomes. If you're tired of fad diets, yo-yo dieting, and quick fixes that don't last, you should start a sustainable, behavior-based personal training that is primed for lifelong changes to promote a healthier lifestyle. You can find us at ObjectiveOutcomesABA.com. Also, if you are seeking remote supervision and interested in the application of ABA in health, sports, and fitness, we offer supervision for unrestricted hours, monthly group supervision where you can meet others on the same track as you. You can find more at ObjectiveOutcomesABA.com. This is an ABA podcast with two BAs and And no BS. BS. This is two BAs on a pod. Alrighty, guys. So we have an amazing guest with us today. We're super excited to have on the podcast. This amazing mom and BCBA has been working in the field of ABA for 13 years. Her roles have consisted of the clinical setting, school setting, in-home services, one-on-one consultations, and adult workshops. Our guest graduated with her master's from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology and currently focuses her practices on parent training while working with both neurodiverse and neurotypical children, toddlers, and teens. So please give a warm welcome to Alicia. Welcome, Alicia. We are so excited to have you on the podcast. Like we were saying before we started recording, Alicia is one of the first Instagram accounts that I connected with. I, I love her content, her aesthetics, like I aspire to have on my Instagram. Oh, <laughs> yes. that's so sweet. Oh, thank you. Your Instagrams, like the way you do your reels, the way you do your stories. It's just, you're so consistent. And it's like, it. I just love the way you're able to disseminate ABA and the way you disseminate to yes. parents. So it's, I, I love it. Thank you so much. It's definitely something that I wasn't even aware that it was something that I would be like, you know, air quotes, good. Yeah, you are absolutely good at. Until I started to like start doing it. And it just kind of, at first it was a little rough, but then I was able to kind of get down to like, you know, what I felt comfortable with. So, but I'm glad that it brings value. Yeah. Yeah. I love the color scheme. Like I, I feel like I still struggle with that. Like how to make my like my content, like my feed, like aesthetically pleasing and like flowy. I'm still like working on it and I've been doing it for over a year now. So (laughs) you got it down. I love it. Thank you so much. Yep. So before we go into our interview with Alicia, um, we're going to start with our EO and AO of the week per usual. So my EO for the week, um, having that trailer out was super, super exciting to hear us having the um, first episode, uh, hearing it, hearing all the edits made. So having that release date is giving me a lot of motivation to record and to meet with Ashley, meet with our guest, um, do our show notes. So I have like very high motivation levels for the podcast. That's awesome. Yeah, my AO for the week. So with having like a super busy week, like this is our second podcast we're recording, but we have one more after this. Um, And then I had a lot of meetings with my, my clients and different groups I'm in. It's given me a big AO for getting on social media and creating content and engaging with followers because I'm already like overstimulated with guests and meetings and clients and all of the fun stuff I'm doing off of social media is making me like 
I'm satiated with people right now. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> I'm like, I don't really want to talk to anyone else. So that, that would be my AO for the week. What about you, Ashley? So um, mine is like centered around working as a teacher because I've been away from my students all week because of spring break. (laughs) So now I miss them. Now I miss them. (laughs) So (laughs) my my EO is that I'm just a couple days away. Today's Friday. So on Monday, I'll be back at work and get um, just thinking about seeing them and connecting with them again. I'm like really excited and motivated to get back into work. We're starting a new novel. Um, So I'm like really excited to start doing all of that just because I've I'm haven't seen them in so long. You're so I'm deprived. Like the opposite. Yeah, I'm deprived. Yeah. Exactly. I was just going to say I'm the opposite. Of <laughs> I, I miss them. So um, I'm kind of like in my head been like counting down the days of like, oh, I'm going to see them on Monday. I can't wait to know what they did because they all traveled. Um, some of them went on school trips the week before um, and traveled and I didn't go on those. I stayed back and I chaperoned trips in the city. So I haven't really seen a lot of them for two weeks, actually. So it's been a while. Oh, wow. So just knowing I'm going to see them, that's kind of an EO for me. Um, it's keeping me motivated, but then the AO is like with work too, because I have a pile of their work from the whole year on a shelf next to my desk that I planned on actually giving them before they went on their trips. But I was like, mm, I don't want to even, you're like, I have the time, so I'll do it then. I yeah. Do it now. And I was like, <laughs> I don't want to have to organize it. I don't want to have to look at it. So like, I have to give them that back because I need more space in my classroom. So like the reinforcer there is going to be like the space I have and the organization I have but like the um, response effort to getting it all out is so abolishing (laughs) (laughs) that I like don't even want to do it so that's my AO just thinking about that is like an AO for me yeah you're you're satiated in like grading work right (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) I've procrastinated it really badly so it needs to get done but yeah what How about, about you, Alicia? Alicia? Okay. Well, let's see. So you are coming off of spring break and my kiddos are just going into spring break next ah. week. So I'm really motivated. I'm excited for that. It kind of um, will, it opens up our schedule, you know, and it's able to, yeah. we're able to do things that maybe we hadn't been able to do, especially unfortunately through COVID, maybe going mm-hmm. to museums and there's new, new exhibits out um, in Chicago so we're super excited about that. So I'm I'm ready to like go into the next week with spring break and spending more time with my kiddos. Um, Aww, that's sweet. So that would be my big beat. That's my big EO. Um, and then kind of along with that in terms of work, then becomes my AO that I then have to like cram pack all of these things that mm-hmm. I would just kind of be able to do next week through our regular schedule. But because I want to open up our schedule, I have to do all of these yes. things over the next couple of days. And right. I'm looking at every time I go into my bedroom, every time I open up my computer, I'm like, <laughs> I, do I really want to do this right now? And I'm like, oh, I can do it later. But the later is going to then going to um, affect how I'm going to be spending time with my kids. Exactly. So it's definitely that workload. Is my yeah, I can right totally now. relate to that. Like anytime I have a vacation, I have to like extra yes. work the week before so right. I can like take that vacation. And really, yeah, exactly. And really enjoy the vacation without having guilt or like taking yes. time away to get on the computer when you're supposed to be relaxing. So definitely relatable. Yes. Okay. Well, I hope you both get your stuff done. <laughs> yeah. you guys. I know, right? <laughs> Okay, great. Okay, let's get into the interview. Let's just get right into our first our first question. So 
Alicia, when did you start Mm -hmm. using ABA at home? Yeah. So honestly, I think it, it's like we started as soon as my kiddos were born because in being in the ABA field, knowing that the relationship, it's always between like behavior and consequences and how you're interacting with your kids. And it starts with just that language, the cooing, the Mm -hmm. giggling, um, you know, like the things that you find funny, you also want your kiddos to find funny. So you're Mm -hmm. encouraging that and you're reinforcing that behavior in them. Um, So I likely just started integrating it immediately um, just because the science of it makes sense to me that as soon as, you know, my kiddo engages in a particular behavior, whether or not I want it to continue or not, I'm going to provide a particular consequence. And I think I naturally now do that, that when I, when I immediately, when I had my kiddos, it just kind of, kind of became my parenting style. Absolutely. It's funny because I think some people just innately think this way, like objectively, like I think it's just like some people just, we think this way or just makes sense to us when we learn the science. And Mm -hmm. um, it's like some people don't even need that training or experience to be like, oh, I need to give praise for that behavior or I need to like, you know, cut off that reinforcement because that is not an appropriate behavior. So it definitely happens out the gate um, without even knowing that it's ABA. Mm-hmm. So you you were a BCBA before becoming a mom, correct? Yes. Yep. Yes. So you had all the training and strategies to make it a little yeah. life a little bit easier as a mom. Although being a mom is really really fucking hard. Yeah, so. I, <laughs> I think I think being a mom in general, being a parent in general, is really hard. Like there legitimately is not a handbook for this. Um, but at least with some sort of background dealing with children and dealing with behaviors, I feel like. You know, maybe I did have a little bit of an advantage (laughs) that I wasn't bumping my head maybe as much. So, right. Yep, exactly. Um, What are some strategies that you use that you may have like directly learned from your training, your education that you use with the kids that's not so as natural or maybe um, parents would benefit from hearing? I think that the very first big one would be replacement behaviors because Mm -hmm. I think that is so often forgotten. Um, I think a lot of times when you are kind of working with your kiddo and if they're engaging in something that maybe I don't want to see in the future and you're trying to punish it and you're trying to get rid of it, then it becomes like, for example, screaming, you know, a lot of toddlers scream or they throw things or they kick or they bite. And it is a form of communication. And a parent is thinking like, okay, you can't bite anymore. I want to get rid of that. But they don't replace it with something for their learner to be able to communicate those same intentions, that same function, that it kind of leaves the learner scrolling through all these other negative behaviors. I can't even tell you how many times it's like, well, she doesn't scream anymore, but now she's just like throwing things at her brother and (laughs) pulling her hair. And it's like, well, yeah, because the screaming was something that was working for her before and now it's not. So now she's like, okay, well, what do I now do? And I'm just going to go up and I'm going to start getting physical with you. So I think that was, that is one of the big things that I think a lot of, um, parents forget about and then it kind of snowballs and it creates all of these other negative behaviors unfortunately that are following um and I think even as a parent 
and a BCBA, sometimes I forget myself yeah, trying for sure. to replace her, replace the behavior for my kiddos thinking like, oh, okay, well you can't do that. So now you need to, and I hate this, but I'm going to use it. Be like, now you need to use your words under air quotes. Um, air, using your words. I, I don't like that one, but um, parents just immediately like, okay, well you're going to have to use your words. Well, kiddos don't know that they need to use their words or they need another form of communication to get what they want. So but do I think you that's think one that- of my big ones. That issue of parents not using replacement does stem from them possibly not knowing the functions of behavior because I know like I Mm -hmm. was a teacher first and I learned all this quote unquote stuff about classroom management. I didn't even know a function Mm -hmm. of a behavior existed. Like I did not know that that was a thing until I became an RBT. And Mm -hmm. once I learned the true four functions of behavior, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. Like now when Mm -hmm. I see a behavior, I automatically just see it so differently. But I can imagine as a parent and not having that background information and just seeing Mm -hmm. your kid throw a tantrum or throw their juice across the room, you're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) Like, why are you doing that? And then you're like, we're not doing that. And you just want to stop it. But then we Mm -hmm. have this other knowledge of like, okay, they might have threw their juice across the room and it might be because like they couldn't put the straw in the hole. So now they're clearly needing access to the straw and they need help with that. And we need to teach Mm -hmm. functional communication and we need to teach the motor skills. And like all these things go through our head within like five seconds. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But then like someone who doesn't know the functions is just like, why the hell are you throwing juice around my house? <laughs> like, what yeah, are you doing? Like, they're just being yes. bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you, you think that your child is, they, they know better, but they're yeah. just doing it anyways. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. You're right. Um, I think in the back of our heads in order to do a replacement behavior, you absolutely do need the four functions or the four primary functions um, right. mm-hmm. of a behavior and without knowing those four primary functions of behavior you're right like even coming up with some random um replacement behavior might not make sense at that time for your learner yep exactly yeah that's that's super important um for the parents that you work with are are you working with parents that have children like um, autistic children or it's neurotypical children um what's like the the spectrum of um, parents you're working with I actually work with both. So when I first started as a BCBA, I originally started and exclusively worked with like neurodiverse children. Um, And then I started gradually increasing my age range for that one. I started at like two and a half and I maxed out at age 65. Um, And then, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing that a lot of people, again, you know, there's a stereotypical understanding of what ABA is for, and it's not just children. Absolutely. Um, but so I started off working with the neurodiverse population, and then um, I started to apply it differently, and I started to apply it to my neurotypical age population, um, especially when I started to have friends who also we're having kids and maybe mm-hmm. not we're in the same p- field. And I was finding that they were asking the same questions or yep. dealing with similar behaviors mm-hmm. that the parents with um, my clients that heard were that had neurodiversity. So, yep. Yep. Um, so I will say that it's not exclusively one or the other. It's mm-hmm. more of, I kind of work on both sides of the spectrum because I do think that, um, I mean, I know that ABA is not just exclusive yep. to one particular population. 
Yeah, absolutely. Right. I feel like it should be a, a parenting class. Like if you have a oh, baby, yeah. like you should go take this ABA course and it's going to like truly benefit you as a parent and we're, we're working with you here, kid, no, no matter what neurodiversity, neurotypical, it's going to benefit you as a parent. What are your approaches different if you're speaking to um, a parent with a neurotypical child versus a parent with a neurodiversity? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, it's the same basic principles of ABA, but right. it's a, applying them differently because the environment is different. So the child that um, is more on the neurodiverse spectrum of it, like their environment just generally looks different. You know, you definitely um, make that environment work for that learner versus the child who is in a neurotypical setting and neurotypical environment. Um, so in a sense that they're the same principles, but I apply them different in the different environments. But I think that honestly, that would be no matter what. So if I had Johnny, who is neurodiverse, and I had Erica, who is neurodiverse, but they're in two different homes, their homes run differently. Exactly. So right. we, we, I might still use the antecedent strategies. Um, but because their homes are different, then the act, the antecedent strategy looks different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. I just love that you say that, though, because I feel like our field gets a lot of heat since we predominantly do work with kids on the spectrum or kids with disabilities, where we get this heat of like, oh, my God, you're doing so much with this kid. You're expecting so much from them. And they're, they have special needs. Like, just chill out. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but we would use this across all learners yes. because all learners are capable. We just use it in different ways. So mm -hmm. I just, I like that you mentioned that because I, I find, I see that a lot on social media where it's like, oh, but this kid can't talk. So why are you teaching them how to request things? Or why are you teaching them this type of communication? And it's like, mm -hmm. because like we believe in them and we know that it can work just because they might not have as many words as a neurotypical child doesn't mean that we can't implement those things the same in different ways, the same principle in different ways for each of those kids. Yes, because their success is unique to that learner. Yes, I right. absolutely agree. Yeah, I. Yeah. And speaking about getting heat, <laughs> yeah. here we go. <laughs> I, I know this is what I really, this is what I really want to talk to you about. Okay. I, so <laughs> I really, yeah, I had no idea that there was a community of people that were anti ABA. Mm -hmm. This was new to me. Like when I first, because I don't know if you knew this, but when I first started my Instagram account, it was ABA for parents. So I did want to do like a, a parent account. My All my content was like geared towards teaching functions of behavior to parents, replacing me, all these things that we're talking about, like kind of like what you're doing. That's why I kind of resonated with you so yeah. well. When I, saw okay. her, I, was, I was like, I love her. I want to be like her. Okay. Um, but it, you know, it, Finding being in the community, I'm like, whoa, there's a bunch yeah. of people that don't like us. And specifically, it's adults that have maybe they had experience in ABA, they're not satisfied, or it's other fields, SLPs, they that just don't like us. And I know me now that I'm in like in the health and fitness world, I don't really get any of that heat because I'm, I'm not very controversial. Um, but maybe you as a parent, a parent educator, I'm sure you're getting more of that heat than anybody else. And I just, you know, want to talk to you about how do you respond to that? Like, what what do you tell people? Are you responding, like, empathetically? Are you getting offensive? I take it more as an opportunity for, like, it's an educational piece. You know, I, I, I 
I mean, especially on social media, um, people are very, they respond emotionally. Um, and it's more of like this attack mode that they're in. Um, I mean, I will get, you know, this one sentence of ABA is abusive or you're abusing a child or, um, do you know what you're doing? This is disgusting. Okay. Well, I do not want to disregard or, um, not consider maybe like your experiences with ABA because obviously they're valid at at some point you had a negative experience to get you to this point. But what's hard is, is it's educating in that sense that maybe that particular experience was a unique experience. And the ABA field is so much more broader and diverse at this point that it doesn't look just like that. Um, so I, I take it more of opportunity to edge or attempt to educate people. So I don't take too much of offense to it. I mean, you definitely have a group of people that just think that it is straight up, um, electric no shock way. therapy. Yeah. That right. we're abusing children, um, that we're taking away their intrinsic motivation and it's, it's, that's not, we are, we are trying and we're on the same team, but it doesn't always come across like that. Um, I do know that especially some of the vocabulary that ABA uses, like reinforcement and punishment. And I I mean, those just don't go over very well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. There's a preconceived notion of what that is. And it's often um, a very, old and um, I don't want to say archaic because again, it's the basic principles, but like the outlook of it is, is just that it's very like corporal punishment when you right. hear negative punishment. Yeah. So, yeah. Even when people hear, like I did like a post my back way back when, and it was like positive punishment, just like mm-hmm. what is positive, like just like very basic, what is positive yes. punishment? What does that mean? It's adding a stimulus in the environment to decrease whatever, you know what it is, mm-hmm. but I got all these comments like there's no such thing as positive punishment. How can yes. punishment? But it's just language. And I'm trying to explain to this person that's commenting coming from a, a place that is of, of ignorance. They have no idea what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. Like I'm not saying the experience is positive. That's mentalistic. That's a, you know, we don't right. speak in those terms. We're saying we're adding a stimulus in the environment. Um, and that's what the positive is coming from. So definitely our, our language is, you know, it does sound like training, like parent training. Like yeah. that does sound hard it sounds rough or like yeah I definitely agree it does and also people don't understand the way we speak just like I found this account and she was going through this this kid's bit pretty much and it was like a a protest goal and this kid shall not protest no more than one time for whatever the the goal was and it's like okay what is the operational definition of protest? That's one. What is the replacement behavior in the BIP? That's two. Like, what was the antecedent strategy? Like, there's so much more in the the process of the way we um, write our programming. It's more than just saying, okay, you're not going to protest more than two times or whatever that goal is. And I I totally agree. I've seen many poorly written goals. Um, But there's just so much more than what people are seeing surface level, or even have the ability to understand um, when they're seeing these goals. And it's just so interesting to me that there's people that don't even have the experience, like like a speech language pathologist, this girl I'm thinking about in particular, her whole account is like anti-ABA account. And And I'm just like, 
why like what is your experience is it just like teaching other kids that have ABA therapy and you're getting like the vent from the parents or like what what exactly is your knowledge with ABA well and I think that's and I think that that's kind of what's hard especially when you're looking at other professions uh, maybe in the school setting is because those BIPs, they have a format, you know, that we have to follow. I mean, especially for insurance. I think, Alexander, you've had a couple of experiences with that. Like, we have a template that we have to follow. Now, does that necessarily mean, like, do you know all the intimate details of how that behavior plan is going to run out and the ifs and what's? Then no, not necessarily. Um, and I also think that sometimes when people come into contact with maybe a bit that's written in that sense, like, it's – and you know what? I'm just going to speak very frankly. To be frank, a lot of maybe the newer BCBAs that are coming out and are not seasoned – they don't have the appropriate application. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like you're very, they study the book, you take Mm -hmm. the test, you get what you can do. You, if you don't have a great supervisor, Mm -hmm. then you don't have the best way in order to appropriately apply some of Mm -hmm. these programmings, like planned ignoring. I feel like that one, you know, Mm -hmm. is definitely taken out of context. It's ignoring the behavior and not the child. But Mm -hmm. when you come out of like a BCBA program or you come out of an ABA program, it's more of like, okay, nope, we absolutely, you have to ignore the child. You have to attention. Attention has always come to, um, this is where I'm getting off on a tangent, but the attention is like, you have to make eye contact. (laughs) You have to make eye contact and you have to turn your body away from your learner and you can't look at them and you can't reference Mm -hmm. them. That's what they think planned ignoring looks like. And sometimes that's how it's run, but it's not run appropriately. And when you come into contact with that unique situation, there's Mm -hmm. this gross overgeneralization that, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, when you think of planned ignoring, that's what it looks like. Yeah. It's very black and white when you come out of school. Yes. But I, and I also think it's dependent on each learner. Cause like, for example, what you're saying about the protest, I automatically was like, well, is this a client that deals with perseveration? Because I have Mm -hmm. a client like that who will say the same thing 400 times in a row if I allow it. And it's like, it's impulsive. It's not something that is like controllable unless it's taught Mm -hmm. to be. So it's like, what are they protesting? What are we ignoring? What's happening? What does the behavior Mm -hmm. look like? What happened before and after? Like, Like there's so many questions that we ask if Mm -hmm. you're good at your job and you do it the way you're supposed to, which not calling anyone out because if you're, I'm I'm not, I haven't even passed the exam yet. So I'm not perfect either. And I've made (laughs) my mistakes. I have had really good supervision. So that is a benefit I feel I have, but I know some people don't, but when we're behavior analysts, we're not just like, Oh, that kid cried and it was for attention. So now we're just going to ignore crying. Like there's so many things that go into that Mm -hmm. specific behavior that we see so differently that somebody like an SLP or like an occupational therapist, or even like a parent who's just trying to learn Mm -hmm. and they don't know yet, they aren't trained Mm -hmm. to see behavior the way that we see it. So it's like, why don't you have a conversation with us? And like, I like to do the same thing that Alicia is saying is take it as like a teaching opportunity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I did that recently with a speech pathologist who was talking about token economies um, being a way to get kids to do things that they don't want to do without having to make Mm -hmm. a connection to them. And I was like, honey, Mm -hmm. we do pairing forever. Mm -hmm. Like you don't even know. So, but I took that, I I did get emotionally upset and I I was angry and what I wanted to say, I didn't say because then that would have been tactless and it would have been rude, Mm -hmm. but I calmed myself down and I came with like factual evidence discussing why we do what we do and how we do it. And that person and I actually Mm -hmm. made a great connection in our DMs and plan to work together in the future. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I feel like 
what you're saying is so true. Like we have to like pull our emotions back because we love this mm-hmm. field so much and we feel so yes. strongly about it. But then we yes. get like we can get over emotional and just react without teaching because people just don't know. Yes. yes. And that's what I think what like what you're doing, Alicia, on your Instagram is so great because you're right. able to disseminate the science in a way that it's digestible for our parents. Because like some that's some a problem is our jargon is so hard to understand yes. when we're talking yes. to parents. They're just like over their head. They have no idea yes. what we're talking about. We're not we're not really communicating in a way that they can actually apply when we're not mm-hmm. there. So it's so it's so beneficial to have people like you that's able to speak to parents and able to teach them these strategies so they can understand it like oh okay this is what reinforcement is this is yes this is well, and, this, I, mm-hmm. and I think sorry and I think too that it's it's a lot of that parents are actually applying these tactics they're applying mm-hmm. without even knowing it mm-hmm. but it maybe means a little tweaking, you know, maybe that the way that you're trying to get your kiddo instead of screaming and throwing something across the room, like instead you're trying to replace it with something else because you want them to use their words with those air quotes, but you're just not, you're not applying the tactics, right? Or they just need a little bit of tweaking. So I think people do this all day, every day without Mm -hmm. even thinking about it. But again, it's like we're talking about, it's those it's the terminology that's attached yes. to it and it's the history yeah. that is attached to it. Cause yeah. I think because all sciences, I mean, they all grow, they have to have somewhere where they started. And unfortunately ABA kind of started at a very ugly time. And, um, but for that time being, so when it came out at the 1950s, 1960s, like the parenting style was, what we would regard as harsh, more strict, but it was physical contact. Like it was okay. Like spanking wasn't on your butt. It was across your face or you got the belt or those things oh, were acceptable. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Those things mm-hmm. were acceptable. So when ABA first was developed, like that's kind of where it started, but we've progressed since then because of course, parenting styles, what has been acceptable and not acceptable, how you're supposed to be interacting with our kiddos and how we look at our kids are different. Um, but I unfortunately think that a lot of people, when they look into ABA, that it's, they're kind of holding on to, which I even, I mean, any BCBA or RBT or therapist is going to look at when it was, you are physically abusing a neurodiverse child. Like you're disgusted by it. You know, it's, it's not something that we accept. Um, but unfortunately I just think that a lot of the beginnings of ABA and kind of it's unfortunate growing pains. I think we just, it's hard to get past those. Yeah, exactly. Me, me and Ashley were talking about, about that before too. Like you said, like um, there was lobotomy with psychologists. Yes. Like yes. <laughs> there right. was a yes. lot of horrible things that happened with different fields. So, I mean, it's nothing to be proud of, but it's something that we need to be understanding of that all fields have their beginnings and, we are progressing like everything else in the world right now is progressing and we should, we should be, we should be progressing. We should be evolving. Um, that is a need for all fields. So I think that's such a good point that to say like, yeah, we, yeah. we started in, in a time where things were way different than the way, the way yeah, they are I now. Think it, so. I think it's just hard to move past that. <laughs> so. Yeah, for sure. 
No, it is. And I even tell people, like people will DM me like articles of like today, someone sent me some OT that she follows on Facebook, posted this poll saying that like 90 something percent of people who've received ABA didn't want it. And I was oh, like, yeah. okay. And then there was a link to the article. And she's like, what do I do? I'm like, first of all, read the article. <laughs> like, yes. Read the article. See what it yes. says. Who wrote it? Um, what population of people? Yeah. Where's the yeah. poll from? Look at the What's data like we love to do. And then I was like, and then maybe educate. And I was like, and if somebody did have a bad experience, like there's nothing wrong with us apologizing for that. Like there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with us saying, I'm sorry oh, that that was your it. experience. Like, because unethical practice should a thousand percent of the time be an absolute no. So if anyone yes. has received unethical practice, we are sorry for that because that's not what we do. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. That's not what the board wants us doing. So I feel like people are so afraid to acknowledge it, though, because of how bad it was at some points in history that they're like, I don't even want to talk about it. But it's like if we just do that, then that's not showing like ownership either. Like we have an obligation to do that as new scientists in the field to discuss the hardships that we've gone through. And I feel like that might be a reason why with psychiatry, like they discuss the lobotomy. They talk about it. They don't deny it. They say it was a mistake. They say, show the research and say, Hey, this is why we don't do that anymore. And people kind of, no one's really upset about the lobotomy anymore. And that really wasn't that much farther along than what we were going through. So it's kind of around similar times. (laughs) So it's like, what if they can move past it, I feel like we could too. You're right. Cause it, I mean, it is, again, it's talking about an understanding and placing value on someone else's history of learning. So if you have that history, that negative experience of that history, um, I don't want to erase it. I want to say it never existed. We can talk about it. Um, just like, so for example, praise, you know, now there's like um, behavior specific praise, person center praised, um, process, you know, the effort-based praise. Um, and it's knowing the difference and it's teaching. But so it's kind of like, instead of saying where I was going, like we kind of evolved from, oh, great job, Johnny. I like how you did that. Okay, well, you know, that's that's kind of a weak praise. We don't do that anymore, <laughs> you know? So it's like we've evolved and move on from that. And I think you're right. Um, actually, I do think you're right that in a sense that um, – we need to acknowledge it. It is not just saying like, okay, yeah, it happened, but this is the, you know, air quotes, new ABA. This is the new way that we're doing it. Well, no, it's not new actually, because it's the same basic principles, but how it was applied before, or maybe someone misused it, which always happens. happens. Yes, exactly. And I'll, I'll see like videos of, you know, table time and, it does look it does look abusive. The kid is clearly upset and maybe the the therapist is manhandling and then you you go and look and they're not even an RBT or a BCBA. Yeah. It's like not right. even affiliated under the board. Like that's not ABA. I don't know what that is. Like that maybe <laughs> right, they right. took, <laughs> they no, took some principles. Because by the board, we can't even show our services, which I feel like that's kind of probably a play a space where we like I wish we could, because I feel like if we could show what we were doing. 
Um, but because of HIPAA, we can't. So you have speech pathologists and OT showing these amazing swings and all these yes. like exercises they do with their face and the coloring and the the sensory bins and all this shit. And then it's like ABA is just like Skinner's face and like somebody being like, oh my God, four <laughs> functions, like cool. And it's like, we don't, right. we can't show what we do, which is fine because yeah. I get like ethically why we keep that privacy. But I feel like maybe if in the future we could maybe get some families to sign a waiver or something just so we can kind of show what we do because people don't know. And then they find these weird ass videos like Alex is talking about of some yeah. random guy like just doing like, these services yeah. that like we don't even restrain. Like, I mean, I, I, I work with play. kids. Yeah. Like I don't work with adults, so I can't speak on that because I can imagine working with aggressive adults is a completely different realm. Yeah. But I've worked yeah. with aggressive five-year-olds who beat the fuck out of me and I don't restrain at all. Like I don't even, right. I don't do restraint techniques ever. I block mm-hmm. things so that I don't pass out, like, but right. I don't restrain. Clear out the environment, environmental right. and things like that. But yeah, we're not, we're not manhandling your kid. And if you see those videos, that's most likely not ABA. Like maybe they call it behavioral therapy, but that's not under our ethics code, not under our board. So I think people need to kind of understand that you may see some random videos that may not even be from America, honestly, like it could be from different, different countries. Yeah. So it's like, you it's definitely, but it does, it, people do associate that with ABA and, um, it's, you know, we need to kind of disseminate in a way that people understand that what, what do we do? How do we do it? And what are we doing to be better? Right. Well, to kind of tie into the fact that you had asked me, like when I had started to apply ABA, just kind of in my parenting styles in my home on, on my social media, a lot of my stories are me applying ABA with my children. Um, and it's, it, this is our natural setting and it's what it looks like. And it doesn't look like the table time. Um, Ashley, like you're saying is like touch blue, do this. Like, no, I am teaching my two-year-old to draw lines, but it doesn't look the way that you think it does when you hear ABA. So that is one of the, um, the things that I do try doing on my social media page is that it's showing you that it's not this rigid, outlook that maybe you kind of have that mindset for that it can look so much more natural and I'm still accomplishing and getting to that same goal. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I, I know you did one story. It was like a planned ignoring and um, oh, yes. it was perfect because, you know, people think what planned ignoring is like, oh, like you just like look in this yes. way, like look in the other way and yeah. like, totally <laughs> like ignoring the child. But, yeah. But you had said like, I'm not going to respond to you when you're speaking to me that way. I, mm-hmm. I'll talk, I'll, I'll talk to you when you, what, when you calm down or whatever you had said it, yeah. the way you had said it in your story. And I'm like, that's beautiful. That's exactly how it should look. And this is, I'm so happy that you're able to have your kids participate in I your know. stories. Right. <laughs> because Sometimes it, I think they get a little overzealous with their acting, but uh, <laughs> I know it's, I love it though, because it does, it, it's actionable steps for a parent to see like, okay, I'm in this situation all the time where my kid's like super annoying or like they're whining or they're, they're asking things like they need it now and demanding and I'm able to still give them what they want, but they need to ask in a better tone or, you know, whatever, whatever the situation may be. But I'm not being mean to the kid. I'm not ignoring the kid. I'm just, I'm I'm differential reinforcement. I'm reinforcing their appropriate behavior um, while not reinforcing the other. So I think it's, I love, I love that so much on your, um, on your Instagram. Um, I know we have like a minute left. So what, what is your um, Instagram handle? Do you have a website? Do you have 
services you offer, anything in those sorts? So I am at Parent Graph. Um, I do have a website. My website primarily right now um, is for using the infographics. It's disseminating the infographics that I have on my Instagram and putting them in the PDF format. So people are able to use them. Other professionals are able to use them when they're doing some sort of parent training. Um, I also do a little bit of blogging. Um, I am... Working on a parenting course, actually. Yeah, cool. uh, it's it's awesome. taking it's taking a lot of time because I'm trying to like go into detail under each of the modules, but still making it make sense. So that is to be coming. That's kind of in the pipeline. So I'm cool. excited awesome. to have that. Really so, awesome. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Once that that parenting course that I'll definitely yes. we'll promote it on the the ABA and a Pod um, Instagram because I think yes. it's. I'd love that. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. It's so needed. Uh, Thank you so, so much for joining us. I really appreciate talking to you, getting to know you. Maybe we can do this again. Yes. No, I would love it. (laughs) I love it. I love hanging out. Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. I really like, I really appreciate reaching out and just being able to collaborate with other people in the field. That's all. That's what it's all about. Okay, so we are now getting into the task analysis breakdown. So today we're doing task list E1, uh, E1.05, practice within scope of competence. Um, So in in this breakdown, we're going to give you a scenario and you're going to have to guess what ethical code has been violated. Alrighty, so here is the scenario. Sally, a BCBA and a mom has a lot of success using ABA in her parenting strategies. A friend recently got a new puppy who has been having trouble using the bathroom in the house. Sally's friend wants her to create a behavioral intervention plan to help house train the dog. Sally agrees and creates the BIP and plans to go over and help her friend implement it. What ethics code has been violated here? All right, so we'll give you guys, yeah, like 10 seconds. Think about it. What? Ethics code is being violated. So the answer is uh, 1.05, practicing within scope of competence. So behavior analysts practice only within their identified scope of competence. They engage in professional activities in new areas, so populations, procedures, only after accessing and documenting appropriate study, training, and supervised experience, uh, consultation, and or co-treatment from professionals competent in the new area. Otherwise, they refer or transition services to an appropriate professional. Um, right. So, yeah, just to go in a little bit deeper, like, how do I broaden? I get this question a lot from, like, colleagues. Like, how do I broaden my scope of competence? So just like it says, like, you can find a supervisor that's already doing it and getting um, supervision hours by them. Uh, even if you are already – if you are already a BCBA, I know you don't need the hours, but just getting supervised and – shadowing or having them kind of like double check your work or having them join in on session, things in that sorts. Um, Also going to CEUs, um, that's really important. So we are required, I forget how many CEUs you need, but you're required to have these units once you become a BCBA. So if you want to specialize in like animal training, then do the CEUs in that. Um, learn, Learn from the people that are already practicing it. Do you have anything else to add? 
No, I was just going to say, like, in this scenario, for example, like, Sally obviously knows ABA. She obviously implements it with not only at work, but, like, with her own children and as a parent. But she's never, from what we can see, like, implemented it with animals. So for her to be able to ethically um, give advice and help her friend with the, the dog, like, she would have to probably do some CEUs about animal training or maybe consult with a supervisor who already works in animal training and work directly under them. So I know now they've even changed it for us. Like once we become BCBAs, we actually have to have supervision ourselves for like a year, I think. Yep, we do. Um, which is good. I think that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's even a good place to start too, because maybe you've done most of your hours in autism. Now there's an opportunity to get a supervisor somewhere else while you work where you already have your scope of competence. Um, so I think that's a great idea that they that the board implemented that. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, because I think like we said in our podcast earlier, Felicia, like the ABA is ABA. It's the foundation and the strategies are kind of consistent. But the way you apply it in these different environments will definitely look so differently depending on the population you're serving. So if you want to keep the name of the good name of ABA and you want to remain in the ethics code and you don't want to get your 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 cert pooled or anything like that definitely continue to practice in your scope of competence but does that does not mean you have to stay in that scope you can definitely always learn more but you need to get the appropriate supervision uh appropriate ceus and just the appropriate consultation so always keep that in mind Alrighty, guys so that concludes our episode Remember, you can follow us on Instagram at ABA on a pod and you can find me at Behavior with Ash and you can find me at um, Objective Outcomes and please uh, hit the subscribe button and leave a review if you're on Apple Podcast. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks.